end of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, good morning again. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open that up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in Romans 15 today, and that's really where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, if you've been with us here the last few months, we have been working our way very slowly and very methodically through the book of Romans. We're calling this series From Faith to Faith. And this series is actually the third installment uh, of our time in Romans. We started last year, and we're going to be wrapping up this series on Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to get to the end of this letter. And over all that time, we will have spent roughly 35 weeks uh, in this one book of the Bible. It's been so fruitful. It's been so good just to to take it slowly and to look at very small chunks of this letter. And then we're going to do that again today. We're only going to be in eight verses uh, of Romans 15. But last week, if you were here, uh, the Apostle Paul, he kind of wrapped up a part of his letter uh, with this prayer, with this hope that he had uh, for the, the men and women, the Christians in the church in Rome. This is what he said in Romans 15, verse 13. He said this, Now may the God of hope fill you, with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul has has said these kind of things throughout this letter, and what we see is that Paul loves these people a lot. He he had actually never met them. Uh, He had longed to go and and, and visit the church there, Um, but he knew what God was doing. He knew of the work that was happening through this church, these faithful men and these women. And in, in his desire, what he says in that prayer was that they would experience joy and peace in their faith. And for that belief to to work in their lives to produce this hope that overflows. And right after this prayer, that's where we're going to be this morning, we actually see Paul make a hard pivot. Uh, From Romans 15, verse 14, to the end of the letter, it kind of feels like the junk drawer at your house. Uh, There's just a lot of random stuff uh, that Paul starts to talk about. He talks about his old ministry travels, the stuff that's happened. He's going to talk about where he wants to go, what he wants to do. He's going to have this list of of names that are very hard to say uh, in Romans 16, where I get to preach that one as well. Um, But he also shares some final warnings Uh, for this church. But where we're at today in these eight verses, if there's one word that really sums up Paul's point or his hope, I think he's trying to get across, it's this word mission. The word mission. What comes to your mind when you think of that word? You know, some of you may think of a mission trip that you went on growing up or maybe here through Riverview where you went to another city or another country to to work uh, for a week. Some of you may think of being driven right, by a particular goal or, or uh, an ambition, right, when you're on a mission to find Dots pretzels at the grocery store uh, because they're very delicious. If you've never had them, trust me, you, you'll want them. So uh, some of you, though, you may think of the, the Mission Impossible movies, you know, all 38 of them there are now. Um, but, but mission, it's not just a spiritual word. It's a, it's a word that we use all the time. And if you look up the definition of mission in the dictionary, it's a very simple definition. It says this, it's a strongly felt aim. 
or it's an ambition or it's a calling. And if you think about mission in that sense, every single one of us have one. We all have something that we're pursuing. We all have something that we we desire, that we're working towards. And some of us, it may be very conscious. It may be written on our fridge, right? But some of us, it may be subconscious. We may not even know what it is. But for some of us, it may be our family, right? The decisions we make, the jobs we work, they're they're all around this mission of, of taking care and providing for our family. For others, it may be our careers, Extending our careers to a certain point. Like we, we, we may work longer hours. We may do things outside of our job description with that mission of moving up or of moving out of where we are. You know, maybe your mission is to have enough money to be comfortable or to be stable, to go on those vacations you've always wanted to go to or have a big enough house or a nice car, right? Just, and then you do whatever it takes to accumulate enough wealth to make that happen. Some of us, our mission just may be a relationship. It may be to, to get married, to meet that perfect person, right? So you put yourself out there and you hope to find someone for you. Those aren't the only missions people are trying to accomplish, but those are some of them. And all of us have something like that. We are living on mission, but what greatly is different for all of us is what that mission is. What would you say is your mission in life? what, What do you daydream about? What drives you? If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, you know, what are you living for? What's the most important thing to you? How would you answer? I want you to think about that question. We're gonna, I'm going to ask it again um, in just a little bit here. But I'm asking that question because in Romans 15, in these eight verses we're in this morning, we see very clearly and explicitly what the Apostle Paul's mission is. And not only that, we actually see how that impacts us today as followers of Christ. So Romans chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 14. I'm just going to read this first verse here. It says this. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, that you're filled with all knowledge, and that you're able to instruct one another. So as Paul begins wrapping up this part of his letter, uh, he takes a moment to encourage these Christians. And the three things he says he's convinced of, he is convinced of these things. And it's really cool what he says, because it's, it's actually three things that are the marks of a healthy local church. They are. The first thing he says is that he's convinced that this group of people, they're full of goodness. Now, the word for goodness there in the original Greek is agathosine, which I learned how to say on YouTube. You're welcome. Um, but it means, agathosine, it just means moral goodness. That's what that word means. It means it's having this virtue of dealing honestly with one another. It's a high moral character, right? It's living with other people in mind. And we, we say that, we say this about people who embody this, right? We say, gosh, she is just such a good person. <laughs> or gosh, that guy, he's just a good guy. And when we're saying that, what we mean is they have a high moral conduct, high, high standard, right? They're just, they're good people. And that was a defining characteristic of this group, in Rome, they were good people. Second thing we see is that they were filled with all knowledge. And here we see this, this truth that healthy churches are growing in knowledge. And not just in a knowledge of, of the world or culture, but really, ultimately, knowledge of the scripture. This group in Rome had a high view of God's word. They were growing in that. And I think the healthiest churches are the ones that had the highest value. On God's word. Not just to know what it says, 
but to know what it says to let it change them, right? To change their attitudes, to change their actions, how they think. Healthy churches open this book and they read it, they believe it, and they try to live it out. This church in Rome was filled with knowledge. But the last thing that Paul writes is that they were able to instruct one another. Healthy churches are filled with followers of Jesus who need instruction, pastors included, but also who are able to instruct one another. Tyler St. Clair was here a few weeks ago. He's a church planter in Detroit. He had, he's one of our, our church planters at Riverview. And he's planted this church, and it's been uh, five years ago that he did that. And if you haven't heard his sermon, go online, listen to it. It's fantastic. It was in Romans 14. Uh, but something he said in his sermon that I remembered, he said he reminded us that life in Christ as a Christian, it's not an individual homework assignment. It's a group project. We're in this together. And I love that because it's so true. A part of your faith is being here in this local family, instructing one another and being instructed by one another. So in one verse, Paul really lays out something he's so thankful for and that really that this church in Rome is pretty healthy. He said three things about them. They were full of goodness. They were filled with knowledge and they were able to instruct one another. But look at the next word he says in verse 15. Nevertheless. Okay. Has this ever, does this ever happen to you? Does anyone ever butter you up uh, before the tough truth? Right? It's like, it's heaping praise to soften the hammer is what I call it. Um, Hey, there's so much good things about you, but here's something that's going to be hard to hear, uh, and it's coming. But look at what Paul says next. He says, nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly. <laughs> that's awesome. More boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. Okay, so Paul said, like, hey, you guys, you're crushing it. You're doing great. But I need to write you a very bold reminder here, okay? Listen up, lean in, do not miss what I'm about to tell you. And we don't get the sense that Paul's angry, right? We don't, we don't get the sense that this church in Rome is really missing it, but it's just, hey, here's a bold reminder, okay? I'm wrapping up what I'm writing to you. Don't forget this. And not only is this reminder really important to hear, but it's Paul actually says, I am actually qualified to give you this reminder, because look at what he says. He is a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. Paul's just giving them this one reminder that, hey, if anyone can remind you of something that's going to have authority, it, it's me. Because the authority Paul had, it didn't just come from himself. He didn't walk around and say, I am a minister of Christ Jesus just because. Like, no, that was given to him by God. It's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. It's this amazing thing. Paul was this Jewish ruler. He had this crazy story, and God miraculously saved him, <laughs> completely turned his life around. And Paul really became the best Christian missionary we have ever seen. It's incredible, the life change that happened in Paul. But in part of that was God picked him to be a missionary, to be a minister, to be a priest of the gospel of God. It came from him. So if anyone has the resume to say, here's a bold reminder, church, it was Paul. So what is that reminder? It's in the very next verse, verse 16. He says this, God's purpose, God's ambition, his mission, his goal is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
God's purpose, what God is up to in the world, is that people would be reconciled to him. Now, the language in that verse is a little weird. It's, it's, it's something that if we just read it on a surface level, it doesn't really make much sense. We have to go back. Because it says that the Gentiles, which means non-Jewish people, which is most of us, you know, and it's just people that weren't Jewish all over the world, that they would be an acceptable offering, uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, offerings were made at the temple by the priests. And an offering was usually an animal sacrifice for sin. So it was, this, it was this crazy thing. But here, what it's saying is God's purpose is that people would be an acceptable offering. What does that, what does that mean? That, that doesn't really connect with us today. But this is where we need to go back to Romans 12, where we were a few weeks ago, where it said this about us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of the key verses of the entire book. It said, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So when we connect all these ideas together, Paul is just building on something he's already said. He is saying God's purpose is that people would turn from their sin and believe in Jesus, the one who was sent for us, to become offerings, to become living sacrifices who commit their lives to God. And what this process looks like, it's whenever someone becomes a Christian, when they put their faith in Christ. When that happens, they're saved from their sin, but they're also saved into a new mission. Whatever they were living for before, family, career, money, comfort, relationships, all that stuff, it becomes secondary to God's mission on their life. It's so cool that when God saves us, he not only saves us from the eternal consequences of sin, but he saves us from these things that ultimately don't fulfill us. He gives us a better mission. John Piper, he's a pastor and writer, he calls this the holy ambition uh, that we get, aligning our lives and goals to that of God. And we see that Paul, he did this very well, and we're going to see that in just the next few verses. Look at what he said in verse 17. He says, Therefore, So in light of this, in light of God's mission to save the world, therefore I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would dare not say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. Paul is unashamed. in proclaiming what God has done through him. And he's really clear to give God all the glory for it. And what you see in these few verses is he's just reflecting on everything that's happened in his life. If you read through the book of Acts, you see so much of what God did through Paul and the other apostles. He, he spoke, and he, he speaks of these miraculous signs and wonders that God did to authenticate the gospel going to these places. And right before this, though, he says something interesting. I would dare not say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed. What's Paul getting at there? Well, I think on the surface, it really seems like Paul could be being prideful here. It kind of sounds like he's saying, I'm not going to speak of anything except for the the number of commitments to Jesus I've had in the churches I've planted. Look at all I've done. It can kind of come off that way. But that's not what he says. He says he wouldn't dare speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through him. 
Paul knows nothing can come of his work apart from the work of God. God was faithful to him. God was faithful to him in in helping him go and share the gospel. And all the fruit that came of that was through Christ. It was through God. It wasn't his power. Paul can't save people. We can't save people. Only God can save people. And what's so cool is Paul said it came through his words and his deeds. Don't miss that. Paul says, this was wrapped up in my life. It was what I did and what I said. And I think this is so important when we think about mission. Because I'm really convinced that whatever mission we're on, whatever we're living for, whatever drives us, it's actually not hard to to see. Because it's really revealed by our words and our deeds, isn't it? By the things that we talk about, the decisions we make. Whatever we give our time to, whatever we spend our money on, what we read about, what we talk about, all, our lives tend to revolve about, around the things that we want to do or accomplish. And if you don't know what that is, ask someone close to you, what do, you t- what do I talk about all the time? What am I so excited about? What do you want me to shut up about <laughs> sometimes? You'll, you'll, they'll tell you. Paul reflects on the miraculous things that God did. And he makes this amazing statement in verse 19. It's a, it's a verse that you will probably read over, because I read over it in, in my preparation for this, for this sermon. It said this, As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel from, of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. So when, I'm just going to confess something. Whenever I see words I can't say in the Bible, I don't think about it. I'm just like, not important. And it's like, terrible <laughs> mindset. Like, no, you, this is really, really important. Because when, when you jump into this, this is actually amazing what Paul just says. Because we don't live in the first century. We don't live in the Middle East. We don't know how far Jerusalem was from Illyricum. But that distance was 1,300 miles. If you were to fly there, okay? I have a map here because I'm a nerd. Um, I like maps. So this is how far. The start on there is Jerusalem. Illyricum is modern-day Albania, okay? So what Paul just said was he has fully proclaimed the gospel there. That's huge. That is a huge place. And Paul didn't fly anywhere. Didn't have flying camels. He would have flown on a camel if he could, probably. Um, But he, he walked and he took ships. That's where he went. In that oval were cities like Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, Thessalonica, Athens. By God's grace, Paul was able to take the gospel to those cities. And you know what he said? He has fully proclaimed it. He's like, I went to that city and fully proclaimed the gospel there. Everyone heard it. It's crazy. Much of the New Testament letters we have, 1 Thessalonians, Philippians, Ephesians, those came from Paul's travels to church plant in those cities and then leave. He wrote back to those places. Now, this is helpful, I think, for us in a way. But as I read the Bible, I need to think about it much closer to home. (laughs) Like, it just helps me to think about, okay, that's helpful. But what would this have looked like today? Like, how far would Paul have really gone? Maybe in the United States. So I nerded out again, made another map. So Dallas to Washington, D.C. is 1,300 miles. You can fly there in a few hours. But if you would have covered the same amount of distance, Paul covered the south eastern quarter of our country, fully proclaiming the gospel on foot. It's amazing. It's incredible what Paul did. And this came 
through God's empowerment, no doubt. It wasn't just because Paul was this amazing guy. No, God did this in Paul. God empowered the mission, but Paul was faithful. He chose to live out his mission. And he reminds the church again of what this was in verse 20. Look at what he says. He says, as a result, or he says, my aim, right, my mission, my goal, it's to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. So that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Okay, so Paul's goal was to share the gospel, but he actually shares the who in his mission. It was really clear. Those who did not hear it, those who had never heard it before, new places where the gospel could go. Paul introduced people to the gospel, but he said he didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. It's not bad to do that. (laughs) Most of us, if we're going to share the gospel with someone, we're building on a foundation sometimes that someone else is already built on. But if if you drive around and you see houses being built, Paul was the guy who laid the foundation. He's like, foundation's done? Okay, all the contractors do everything else. I'm leaving. I'm going to do another foundation. That's what Paul did in a spiritual sense. He would go to new places, talk about Jesus, plant the church, and he's like, you guys good? I'm out of there. And he did that in that oval. He did that all over the place. Paul was led by mission. He wanted people to know Jesus. It was amazing what he did. He went to people who were far from God, shared the gospel, and raised up leaders. So eight verses here in the junk drawer, and Paul is just kind of reflecting on his life. He's talking about where he's been. He gives this church a bold reminder. But in that bold reminder, and in, in all of Paul's travels, we actually see a very important principle that, every, that marks every single one of us. Every one of us are driven by mission. Everyone. We're led by our desires to accomplish certain things, to get to certain places in our lives. And those things, if we can't even articulate it, those things are really the most important to us. They're the things we talk about, the things we think about, where we spend our money, what we give our time to. So think about that question again that I asked earlier. What is your mission? Like what has captured you? What excites you? What are you trying to accomplish? I mentioned excuse me, the conversion story of Paul in Acts 9 earlier. And if you, if you read that, you will see Paul had a very clear life mission before that day. And you know what his mission was? To stop Christianity from growing. That was Paul's life work before, he, before God saved him. Paul persecuted Christians. He oversaw their killing. He wanted to stop the Jesus movement from happening. Stephen, the first martyr, Paul was there. He saw it, approved it, gave the thumbs up. That's who he was before God saved him. God radically transformed his life. And not only did did God save Paul from his sin, but he says, this is your new mission. And what's so cool is we have this explicitly in Acts chapter 9, 15. Look at what it says. Jesus says this, this man, Paul, he was Saul at that point, changed his name to Paul, his, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. 
That's what, that was Paul's goal. What Jesus says there is, hey, you know what I'm going to do through Paul? I've picked him to take me to everybody. And he did it. He took the gospel to much of the known world in his life. And what's so cool is, is we have that. That's a descriptive passage of, of God working and giving Paul this mission. But what's so cool is that we see Paul's mission, it wasn't unique to Paul in the sense of just only he shares the gospel. No, it's actually every Christian's mission. <laughs> the first thing that happens in a person when God saves them is that he works in their life to help them see their need. That they need to be forgiven. That they're sinful, right? That they're broken. That they can't do anything to get back to God on their own. And that person recognizes their sinfulness and they turn to Jesus who offers them that forgiveness. God helps us see that we need a rescuer and then he shows us Jesus was that rescuer. Jesus came to the earth as one of us. He was tempted in every way that we are and he was without sin. He died on a cross for our sin and he rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death. To be a Christian is first, it's to believe that, that Jesus is the king, not you. And that his work on your behalf, that is the thing that reconciles you to God. And when you believe that, your sin, past, present, and future, you're, you're made right with God, but you're also given a new mission. And that is that God chooses to include you in all of your mess, in all of your ineptitude, in all of your lack of skills and everything. God's like, I picked you. Not just to save you, but to be an ambassador, to be a representative of me. What's so cool is that we see this explicitly in Acts chapter 9 with Paul. Jesus makes it explicit for all of us in Matthew chapter 28. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he spent like 40 days with a lot of his followers. And he ascends into heaven, but not before he gives them one last thing. One more thing. This is what it is. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You may be familiar with this. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's so encouraging about this passage is that Jesus doesn't let us wonder what we should be doing. It's clear. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them about him. A few times this morning, we've been asked that question of your mission, right? What what are you after? What do you want? What do you desire? And if you're like me, I can read the Great Commission. I can look at the Apostle Paul and think, I am nowhere close. Never going to be. (laughs) And I can feel that shame of like, gosh, if someone were to look at my life, what would they say my mission is? Probably to be comfortable. That's, that's, that, that's the thing that kind of marks my life so often. And I don't want to just wallow in shame. I don't think we should either. <laughs> because there's good things in the world, like family, <laughs> like relationships, like a career that you love. Those are good things to pursue. But I think what we should do, what we should strive for, 
is to prioritize them correctly. What I need to do, I'm convinced of this, as a follower of Jesus, is pursue my mission to help other people know him first. And I should do those within the places that God has me, with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbors, with all of you. So the question I want us to think about is how can God's mission, the mission he saves us into, how can that be part of everything else we're doing in our lives? The other missions that we have as a mom, as a dad, as a spouse, as a student, in your insurance job, as your child's basketball coach, with the neighbors that you live around. I, I am a list and concrete person. <laughs> I need stuff that I can remember. And so I, I've got three commitments here that I want, that I want for me. And I'm, I'm hoping that maybe you would, you would take these as well. The first thing I want to start doing is to be prayerful. First and foremost, as I'm thinking about the mission of God in my life, I, first, I just need to be prayerful. To commit to praying for those in my life that I know. It's very similar to Paul's aim when he says it's his aim to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. There are people in my life that I'm, I think Christ has not been named. They don't know. I just need to start by praying regularly for those people. Pray for opportunities to talk about deeper things. Share my life with those people. Talk about family. Talk about health, jobs, all that stuff. First and foremost, be prayerful. Second thing is to be prepared. You know, as Christians, I think we should just live with this readiness to share the hope that we have. We see that in 1 Peter, right? We pray for opportunities, and then when they come our way, we, we pray for the boldness to say, oh man, like, I think I could invite them to church with me. I think they're interested. I think I can talk to them about my life as a Christian. But I think when we have this preparedness, I think we need to also be prepared to not lie <laughs> and say that life's always great. I can feel that temptation when I'm around people that, that don't share what, what I believe to think like, oh, I don't want them to think I'm a, I'm a bummed Christian, so life's good. But no, that's disingenuous, right? That's not being honest. Life is hard. And Christians are not immune to the, to the world, to the brokenness of sin impacting them. But in the midst of that, I think we should remember our identity. We understand that Jesus not only saves us, but he's with us. He cares for us. So I think part of this being prepared, it's just being prepared to be open and honest with your life, your struggles, your wins, everything. How cool would it be if we just as people, with everyone we knew, we committed to being transparent and honest instead of guarded and hidden. Be prayerful. Be prepared. And the last thing, be present. <laughs> Go be with people. If you were to sum up Paul's ministry strategy and the missionary strategy of the men and women in the New Testament, do you know what? It's one word, presence. It's what they did. They went and they were with people. They didn't say, hey, come, to, come, come over here. They went to them. Jesus did the same thing. If you look in the Gospels, Jesus, he went to parties. He hung out with the sick and the poor. And you know the people he avoided? Religious people. He didn't insulate himself with the religious people from the temple. He often avoided them. <laughs> he went to the people that were so far from him. 
don't overthink this. What would it look like for you to be present in the lives of people that God has put around you? How can you get to know them? Ask coworkers out to lunch with no agenda other than just getting to know them. Ask your neighbors over for a bonfire. Go grab Chipotle after your soccer game with your teammates. Go to a playground with your kids and introduce yourself to another parent that you've never met before. And as you do that, remember that if those interactions don't get to spiritual things, it's not a failure. I think it is often a failure when we introduce spiritual things to conversations too early. Because guess what? People don't like feeling like projects. When someone comes up to you, and just think about it. When someone comes up to your door, you're like, I know what they're going to ask me. Solution, I'm not going to open the door. There you go. That's what we do sometimes because we don't want someone to like immediately not really know us, but they just want to check a box. I think for us, if our being present strategy was like, I'm just going to get to know that person because they're here or I'm around them. God's put me there and hope that it gets to spiritual things. But gosh, in the meantime, just love them. Listen to them. Share with them your heart, your struggles. Be present. Live out your life as a follower of Jesus in front of those that God has put around you. The Great Commission is really clear. That is our mission in the world today. It's to make disciples, to share the gospel, to baptize people and to help them grow. But what's so cool about that mission is that it's bookended by promises. Before Jesus tells them that, he promises them once and he promises again. The first thing he says is in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That promise is a breath of fresh air to us. Because what Jesus is saying is that he has authority. We don't. (laughs) It's not up to us to change the hearts of people. We cannot do it. God in his infinite wisdom did not allow us. And I'm so grateful for that. We don't make the decision whether or not someone believes. But God chooses to use the faithfulness of us in our work to work in the lives of people. So it's kind of like being a little kid in the backyard helping out your parents, doing a terrible job. (laughs) And your parents are like, I can use that. That's kind of how it is with us. But right after Jesus has the commission, he says this, the next promise, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus first tells us we're not the authority. And then he tells us we're not alone. He's with us as we live our lives trying to influence others. For Christ, he is present. As we go about our lives and just think about our mission, we should always remember those promises that he's in charge and that he's with us. In Romans 15, the Apostle Paul, he recounts this incredible work that God did through just a few years through him, that the gospel is fully proclaimed to thousands of people. And what's so cool is that even though we are pretty far, I think, from the Apostle Paul in a lot of ways, we're also incredibly near to him because we're in the family of faith. We're just like him. We have the same Holy Spirit that Paul did in us by faith, which allows us to take part in God's incredible mission too. So let us be prayerful. Let us commit our lives to asking God to graciously save those that he's put us around. Let us be prepared to know 
the life-changing power of the gospel, to have that live, this be part of who we are, our words and our deeds. And then let us be present. Let us spend time with people in the world who do not know Jesus. Let us go to the places where Christ has not been named. And you know where that may be? Next door. Maybe in the cubicle across from you. Maybe down the hall. God has so much for us. He invites us into that. So let us be prayerful, be prepared, and be present. Let's pray. Well, God, as I think about Romans 15 and just the extraordinary things you did through Paul and the early Christians, I just want to thank you for that person in my life named Mark. My leader in high school, he came to our high school. (laughs) He went to my soccer games. He chose to forsake so much, so many other things he could have done for the sake of me and my friends hearing the gospel. I'm so grateful for him. And God, I'm so grateful that while it's costly to live our lives for others and to be present, it's not confusing and it's not unclear. God, you work through people. You work through us. You work through conversations. You work through presence. You work through prayer. (laughs) You work through honesty and openness and just living our lives in the world, doing our best to trust you and help others do the same. God, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the example of Jesus who loved people by going to them. God, we thank you that he's with us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And finally, God, I just thank you that you empower all of it. (laughs) Anything that happens for you, for people knowing who you are, it is through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you that we're not alone, and thank you that we can't take the credit. (laughs) That's purely you and your grace. We're so grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.